You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is some of my best friends are Kabbalists. And normally what I say here is I'm joined by Nelson Nota Glik, Nelson Nota from Ashkelon, Eretz HaKodesh, Israel. I'm not going to say that today because it's true, you are in Ashkelon, yes, but you are in fact joining me. Yes, I am joining you. I am here in Ashkelon, so both of us together. And here you are at the epicenter of some of my best friends are Kabbalists. Here it is. This is where it happens. <laughs> this is what allows it to happen, yes. So Rav Nelson and I joining from Eretz Israel. I want to start with a little bit of a travelogue type of impression. And that is that when one transverses this incredible country, and if you have this close to drive in your own vehicle, especially when you can look around, you're not necessarily jostling and holding on to your stuff because of some guy who's going to get on the bus behind you and maybe take your thing. You look around and you see the magnificence of what has occurred here in the last 75 years and, and the roads that were built probably in the time of the Brits and maybe even earlier. And you marvel at not only like as you've talked about the place names, uh, the spots that whether they're correct or not, uh, the Nevi'im, other heroes of, of our people have trod, and the place names are, are, are definitely inspiring. And whether it's Yoav, Eliel, uh, Yoash, Gidon, it just comes at you in, in, in such a real way that reading about it doesn't. And you've talked about that. I think that's important. But so there's sort of like a side element here that, that struck me was that all these place names, all these cities and streets and, that, that represent the full gamut of Jewish history from the time of, of, of Nebim all the way down to you know, the, the last century, they are three languages, Hebrew, Arabic, and English. And, and of course, the Arab cities, I understand, the Arab cities, that whether it's uh, Rambah, Shuafat, or any of the Arab towns, I understand. Um, they, of course, we share the country with them. We share the roads with them. When I see those names, the names, the holy names, whether again, it can start from Yerushalayim, which, of course, they also consider one of them the great holy spots for their for, for, for Islam. But any of the, the, the shameless of Nevi and the Tanakh, and I'm struck again by the fact that here are our Arab we call them our cousins, invoking shameless of, of people that we name our children after, people that we, whether it's David, whether it's Yoav, whether it's Shmuel, Yahu. And I'm struck by the fact that we have a commonality. We are stuck to these people. And, and this has really been, I'm not, I'm not saying anything deep or something that anyone doesn't know, but you know, we I think I, as a visitor, as somebody from Hutzlars, can appreciate this because, I mean, although I, I know you're a very open person, many of our Eretz Yisrael brothers, brethren, look at the Arabs as a terrible, I guess, scourge, a scourge and something that they never have to live with. Something which, when are we going to be extricated from this? When are we ever going to be able to leave? When are they going to leave? Uh, unfortunately, we have to deal with them, be careful, be scared. 
And yet the governmental place names sort of bring to me as a sort of a, a beacon, a message that it isn't just that the Mikra, the B'nai Yishmol are here. They are here and whatever the messianic plan is, they have a role in this. They aren't just going to, again, even, you know, I, again, we, we, we talked about the language in the Zohar we're trying to get to in a minute, but they have been the guardians of this country. And I know that this is about Kabbalah, this discussion. And we know the Zohar itself really indicates that they are the ones who were given control over this land. And let's talk about that a little bit. And, and you know that, Nelson, that this is one that has been one of the source, one of the points that with Shadal and others who have tried to prove the Zohar is clearly a, a later work. And it might even be Rabbi Yaakov Ebden, but Nachas Farm as well. Again, we didn't do our research properly, perhaps, on this. But there are references to what seems to be the Islamic age. age. Right. So let's talk about that. And, and, and it's in the Zohar. And, and, it, and it, it clearly says that they will control this place. Right. And we found the Zohar. So let's talk about that language of the Zohar. So, close the book. That wasn't so smart of me. Uh, shall we sure. give, the, sure, go give ahead. the long version? Go ahead. Of the well, story, well, the story well, version. Read a couple of lines and we'll talk about what, what the what the Okay. So, uh, we have a conversation here between Rabbi Yaisi and Rabbi Chia. They were walking down the road, and uh, Amar Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Chia, why are you quiet? You know, pathways are never properly rectified unless you speak words of Torah. By the way, considering Zayhar, you know, it's very, it's very interesting. You have very little discussions that happen at base matters. Most of the discussions are always people yes. walking down the road. This is what they're talking about when they're walking down, walking down the road. And you know, so you have discussions happening in caves and uh, in fields and, and all sorts of other um, good point areas. So there's some. So there's some I mean, that, that occurs in the Talmud also in, in, in quite a large number. But but you're right. In the Talmud, it's sort of like exceptional when you're thinking about what's the yeah, I mean, most, right, most, most of the all, most of the discussions in the Gemara are happening in a basement. Yeah. I think that's a given. And in, in the Zayar, you you never see that, as far as I know. And so they're walking. Yeah. They're so they're walking and. Rabbi Chia began to cry, and he began with the pasuk, So he's saying that, that the real root of the problem, or the real root of the issue, is in Sarah's barrenness. And because it, because it took time for her to, give, to get pregnant and to give birth, and it required a, a miracle and everything, therefore this gives the chance for... Yishmoel to become born. So really, if you want to go to the root origin of Yishmoel, Yishmoel's root and source is in emptiness. And this is a theme that we, that we you know, come back to. And so Amrle Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef replies, why is this such a terrible thing? She's going to give birth eventually. She's going to have a, she's going to have a child who comes from the holy source. So, so basically he replies that, I, like I heard this from Rabbi, Sh- from Rabbi Shema, that woe for that, you know, vai Allahu Zimna, woe for that period of time, that empty, that empty downtime when Sarah was not having a child or was not having children. Begin the Sarah Isakavas because uh, Sarah was was being held back. So therefore, because of this time lapse, 
Hagar has a child from Avram. And when a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants to, you know, challenge Avram and say, well, listen, I'm going to give you a son. So, so Avram says, because Avram also has, already has an attachment to this, this child. And even though Kaddish Baruch Hu is giving him a besorah that he's going to have Yitzchak, but nevertheless, Avram still feels very connected to Yishmael. And therefore, Kaddish Baruch Hu has to answer Avram and say, okay, you know what, as far as you're asking for Yishmael to be somebody, so here, as far as Yishmael is concerned, I have listened to you. But Yitzchak is really the one. And therefore, first of all, there's, there, you start with an empty space, which is the amount of time that's, that, that, uh, that Sarah was not having a baby. And then, and then Sarah you know, brings Hagar into the picture. Then you have a baby. And then Avram already has an attachment to the baby, which therefore causes HaKadosh Baruch Hu to bless the baby and to actually give him, you know, to give him some position, position in the world. And he also therefore becomes included in the, in the Bris Mila. And just to jump ahead, Chazi, go, you know, go see. Our, for 400 years, this celestial lord of the children of Yishmael is standing in front of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and he's saying, could it be that somebody who has a bris milah has no portion in your name? And Kaddish Baruch Hu seems to agree that he has to have a portion in my name. He has a bris milah. So I'm relay, but things. So you see, Yishmael was Yishmael had a bris milah. And why isn't his portion any any different than that of Yitzhak? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, well, you know, Yitzhak had a proper bris, and, and Yishmael's bris was not proper. Because it was not done after Shmuel it was done when apparently, it was apparently it was done, it was done too late. Okay, that's that seems after, to be thinking we would sort of like think about it, we'd say after you know the Yitzharat sort of developed within him. Yeah, as after he'd already become right. this thirteen-year-old. So, yeah, so we, we usually we usually think of Yishmael's bris as being greater than at least that's the way Yishmael was awarded yeah, yeah. over Yitzhak because because yeah because I, I, I underwent this I underwent this as a thirteen-year-old kid. I bore the pain. I was aware you were just you know you were just a little nothing. But the MS, the MS is that if you think about bris as being a kedushas aguf as being something that is like inherent into your body, it's a holiness that's implanted in you. So the earlier you do the implanting the better it is. And therefore, as we see, you know, Yitzhak is going to absorb both. He's going to have the bris, and he's also going to be able to absorb its meaning. On the other hand, you know, Yishmael, who undergoes the bris as a conscious person, so he's going to get the form of the bris. He's going to get the external aspect of the bris, but he's not going to have a share in its meaning. Right, this is similar, right. similar to the word that we find by the Chassidim of the Moranayim and others, that part of the reason why bris is so powerful is because it it connects to a level before das. Or shemapipshat that say, well, of course, the baby should be eight days, so this way the pain is less, the pain is, is the baby doesn't register it as much, it's not as traumatic. I'll be kabol, I'll be chasidus. The idea is really that it's it, it means much more. It's something that it's a mitzvah before you can even talk about person having a mitzvah. It's, it's greater than a mitzvah. It's greater than something you do. It's something that somehow fuses into your essence. And it's something your shmol misses. Right. And you can't, you can't choose to have a bris milah. Oh, it, happens, it happens to you. Although technically, you know, before this split within Yitzhak and Yishmol, you wonder, did the Pnei Yishmol have an Indian of doing this beyond Shmaino? Or not? In other they, words, they, they, they don't, actually. To, to, to this day, they continue to follow my understanding is that there's all sorts of different customs about Brisbane. Circumcision you know, among, among, among Islam. Arabs and, and 
Muslim, Muslims. So to what extent it's always practiced and to what extent it's practiced as, as early childhood or, or bar mitzvah age, I really, I really don't know why. My understanding is, is that is that it's done at all sorts of times. Whenever somebody But even today, the the if I would engage in conversation with the tremendous amount of Arabs that are here. Yeah, in they're, certainly, they're certainly not Makbidach. They don't really have that idea. But anyway, of course, this means that now in, in Arab culture, there's going to be a lot of Moyo jokes now, right? Unfortunately, too many by us. Yeah. So the, the Zoya continues and says that, uh, you know, these, so B'nai Yisrael arms are to me. You know, they have a, a, a share in the bris in terms of its inner aspect and its external aspect. Elin Mistab can be the Koyo's they these people cleave to me as is fitting. The Tamnaya Yoimin, they do it when it's in the eighth day of Elin Rukhikin Mini Ad Kamayam and these are far away from me for, for a long time. Amarle, so the Mamana of you know the uh, heavenly Sar of Yishmael continues and asks, Im Kolda, but nevertheless, Kevin Disguzar Loya Heli Agar Taubikine. I mean, there has to, has to be some kind of schar over here. So then the Zoyer breaks out in a, in a lament. Whoa, Yishmael. Yishmael, not only, did he, not, not only was, he, was he born, right, he also has a, he also has a bris Mila. He distances the children of Yishmael from cleaving, from, from Devekos, from having a, a cleaving to Kodesh Baruch and he gives them a portion below in the Holy Land, Bara Kadisha, because of the risk that they have. And let me just throw in another thing, which is suggested by the passage that you read, is that it's not about the Priya, it's about the Orla, the Gizera, the thing that's cut, as opposed to the Keser or the Atara that's exposed. Yeah, and that is also, according to some of us, the way Klal Yisrael practiced Mila before they came into Eretz Yisrael. There is such a Shita, the Gemara, yes. that Priya only happens to say, but we know Priya is really that higher level of the action of the bris, is Gazer. In other words, the word Gazer is to cut off. It's, cut, cutter, right? it's the cutting. So Yishmo has that, and if we borrow a page from our friend the Rambam, who has a lot to say about these Yonim and others, at least Yishmo has that Shemira Chitsoinias from Tivus that we know that cutting mm-hmm. the Orla does. Like cutting off that foreskin in a way, as we know, is Mamayat the Taiva and Mamayat the pleasure. And in that way, the Arabs can say, or the Ishmaelim can say, that look what we did. We were willing to submit ourselves and cut ourselves off from the complete enjoyment of Taiva in this world. And maybe it therefore it makes sense, here where I'm going with this, that what they're going to get as a schus is, and this is where we come to our original topic, right. a place in this land, a shuita even in this land, and even a control over this land. And, and let me now push this, punch this just a little bit further. You know that um, when you listen to the Arab propaganda and especially when we respond saying, this is our land, it was promised us by God, we were the people who stood at Sinai, and what they'll come and say is, yeah, but how, you know, you, you hypocrites, you 
have defiled this land. You, this land is not a holy land. We're not talking about Haredim, we're not talking about we're talking about still the majority of the Jews that live in this land who they might undergo the Brismila, but they have not necessarily limited themselves from the type of and I, and I have heard this from Arab apologists saying, well, okay, you, 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 you claim this is yours from a historical perspective. History means something when you back it up with, it's not just that I can trace the DNA of that sunbather on the Tel Aviv beach to Aaron Akoyan, but you have to live like the Kedush of Aaron and Moshe. And in that way, I think many of the Muslims will tell you that this is, this is you know, the Jews are barbarians in terms of their, I'm talking about barbaric acts of murder. I'm talking about no, barbarians. They're, they're in barbarians terms in terms of their the level of, level of their, their, right, their, uh, their sybaritic nature. And I think that might have something to do with what, you know, what Yishmo was about. And that could be why, you know. So why don't, why don't I just finish up? Finish today, it off. You know, finish up with what he's, what he's saying over here. And he says, so therefore, Yishmael are invited to control the Holy Land when it is empty from everything. And they're going to control it for a long time because their brismila is empty without completion. And they will stop B'nai Yisrael from going back to their place until these chus of Yishmael runs out. And um, it goes on to another story. Zamin and B'nai Ishmael, you know, the, the B'nai Ishmael are also um, invited or prepared, you know, to have many wars in the world. And B'nai Edom, which would refer to like Christian nations, would be jumping up uh, to attack them. There's going to be a big fight. And there's going to be a, this seems to be an a battle a battle on sea and on land and in Yerushalayim. This seems to be an allusion to the Crusades. We go back to Shadal and others who pointed this. To, to Crusades, beyond a doubt. And then a certain nation will awaken that will come from the edges of the earth to attack, you know, uh, evil Rome and battle with them for three months. And then there'll be a huge melee. And then, um, and then a Kaddish Baruch Hu will, uh, will kill everybody. <laughs> Basically, that's, so the Zohar at least ends. The Zohar well, is very, very, very apocalyptic, except that the, you know, the end of all of these nations is, uh, through Hashem's right hand, Hashem Tzilchal Yad which we just read, eliminates all of the foreign people from Eretz Yisrael, and then Eretz Yisrael is left over to us, which I don't know if you want to, how much, how much you're going to, you're going to read into that prophecy, but uh, it's, it, does sound, it does sound actually a bit like the Mongol invasion, you know? It's a, it's a nation from the other side of the, you know, from, from the other side of the earth. They wake up one day and they suddenly go rampaging, and they, and they, they did destroy let's see, the first great flowering of Arab culture. It was here in Eretz Yisrael, it was here, and it was in, in, uh, also further, uh, further east of here. And, of course, the Mongols did uh, make some serious incursions into, into Europe as well. But uh, other than that, the apocalyptic uh, stuff you know, so, did not happen, as, at least as had not yet. distinctly not, as not, was not, spelled not, out here. So, that's, so no, that's part of it seems to be... Uh, very much a description of the fact that for years yeah. the land was pretty much in control by Islam, by, by Islamic. Right. That's, of course, why it's called Dar al-Islam, and that's part of the reason why they're fighting tooth and nail for it, 
So they could point to the Zohar, uh, as I think I, I'm sure many have, as look, your own sources indicate that. Yeah. Uh, so, the, so, but what do you believe, uh, Nate? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I started off today. Let me saying, let me let me, let me add a note of commentary. Go there's ahead. a the idea of controlling Eretz Yisrael when there's nothing here. Okay, is this is basically the fundamental idea. The, the the idea that Eretz Yisrael is empty and unproductive and unfulfilled and basically useless during the Golos. That's the idea that animates this mimer. And what, what the, the core of the mimer is is saying that the you know, the status of Eretz Yisrael during the medieval people medieval period when it was basically empty and unproductive uh, parallels the some sort of spiritual aspect of the people who are ruling the land which is which is Ishmael. so that's you know that's the idea and you know if you want to you know, delve into this is what is what is the Zoyer mean what talks about this emptiness of, of Ishmael? I mean, what in what way really is Ishmael empty and in what way is Eretz Yisrael really empty it's not as if there weren't any people for them there were people here, um, but the I guess I, I think it probably refers mostly to the productivity. It's like not, there wasn't very much growing here it, it during was, all it, those it, years, it, and people well, were not having any kind of standard of living. It was a thoroughfare state. It was a place right. that people moved through it, right? And it, 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 there wasn't this idea of a of a thriving various cities. Uh, what was necessary were the were the Roman roads or whoever had built them in order to bring their armies through. It was situated in a spot in this peninsula that made it crucial to get to the to get to North Africa or to get up uh, into the, to the upper regions of Asia. So whatever was needed, the barracks or whatever it was that was needed to support those elephants and armies, whatever it was that was coming in there, that was the infrastructure. And you can you can you can consult the old old photographs, such you know, such as they were, were made in like the eighteen fifties. They don't they don't seem to show a lot of uh, you know a lot of people or a lot of civilization, or certainly certainly not a lot of productivity. And the um, it's, it's it's you know Gemara Peir Caleb. There's no more revealed Kate's Kate's, you know, there's no more yeah revealed end of day sign than this. And the when f- when people start when people start getting actual nice fruit out of Eretz Yisrael, then you then then you have something. Right. And of course, this this had been the argument toward against the Arabs, and even uh, on many levels, on sociological, uh, ge- geological, and spiritual level, is that you had the land and it was a wasteland. Roads couldn't have been built there because everything was sinking. You thought that wheat. Corn, rice, strawberries, and stuff. Yeah, your olives were okay. You were still able to get your olives and your grapes. Look what we did. We, we caused the desert to bloom. This was what the, the Olim from the Olim Shoma, the Ashnia, this is what that had been their counter argument that we turned the land to something productive. In fact, there, there's even a, a query as to what, <laughs> why, why did you want it? Okay, now that we've turned it to something, now you want to fight tooth and nail for it. Now that we've actually punched it up into something uh, magnificent, we were able to, to bring and to take gold, to take gold out of straw. Now you right. want to come well, here's, in and take here's it something over. you have to take take into account when you're when you're trying to understand, like you know, what's the what's the opposite point of view of this? And there's a um, there's something called replacement theology, which exists both in Christianity and Islam. You know. For Christians, the replacement theology is pretty straight. Straightforward. They believe that when Isaiah Ish was here, we should have bought into him, and we 
didn't, and therefore we're completely off the derech. Therefore, we are no longer Am Yisrael. You know, now the Christians are the new Am Yisrael. And of course, therefore, Eretz Yisrael belongs to the new Am Yisrael. And that's why it was important for them to possess Eretz Yisrael in order, in order to substantiate their own claim as being the true religion. So Islam has a very similar, has a very similar claim. Um, they do it slightly differently. They say that when we had the Torah, according to them, we falsified it. And that's, you know, that's their claim. So therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to send Muhammad back in order to reinstate the true Islam. So when, a, when an Arab or a Muslim looks back over Jewish history, he doesn't see Am Yisrael. He sees Muslims. He thinks Melech Dawid, you know, Dawid or Melech Daud is, is a Muslim. And, and his son Shlomo is a Muslim, and Moshe Rabbeinu is a Muslim, and they're all Muslims because they're all practicing Islam, which was later corrupted and turned into something called Yiddishkeit. They have a whole story about, many people are familiar with, it's, it's the story of the night journey, that Muhammad had a miraculous trip to Harabayas, and he flew up to Shemayim, and there, and there he met everybody, including and Abram and Yitzhak and Yaakov and, and, and they all asked Muhammad to lead the prayers to, you know, to be you know, up there. and the whole purpose of the story obviously is, is to show that Muhammad is the, the, the Naviya Naviyim and that his, his religion, the one that he's brought down is the true religion and therefore right, Muslims are Balabais right, over Eretz as, well. as you said, similar to what's Somewhere in the uh, New Testament where it says, I haven't come to change the Bible, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill everything. Meaning that anything that had been positive in what they call the Old Testament has been has really been has been absorbed, reappropriated, uh, right. fitted into something else. And of course, the Quran is also full, of course, with versions of Midrashic stories of Yosef Atzadik and others. And, you know, and, and yeah. Geiger and other, has pointed this out, how much Muhammad took from Midrash and Chazal. But once it becomes canon in the Quran and in the Islamic believers, what happens is, yes, of course, we had these heroes, Nabi Samuel and Yosef and all those. And, and Muhammad is really, as you say, he's the, he's the next one in line. And, and, and we are chaff that need to be, not only, not only do we fall by the wayside, but, and again, here, I guess, I think there's, it's sort of similar to this, or we got to be eliminated too, right? right. Well, no, actually, or the demis we're going to be. Yeah, we, the, we, we we have to, we have to be demis, right? But we're not eliminated. No, we're not. Eliminated. By by the way, it's 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 interesting to think about it. Even in let's say medieval Christianity, it was an aberration in the sense that Jews were supposed to be killed or eliminated. Jews were supposed to be kept in contempt so that everybody could see how lowly and miserable we are. And therefore, we would know that that's what happens to people who don't yeah. believe in Yashka. The wandering Jews. So, right. so, so we, were, we were supposed to exist. And, and some, you know, some of the church fathers had a little bit more positive angles on that. You know, that, we, that may, you know, maybe we exist for some mysterious secret reason that only Echo the Baruch knows. But mostly, the, you know, the people who thought about these things concluded that we exist in order to be, in, to be held in contempt and to perpetually suffer forever for our uh, rejection. Now, for Muslims, that was much more, uh, there was, that was a much more compassionate version of the above, because since we, you know, since we had a shaykhus in, in Torah, 
Therefore, we were considered, uh, you know, let's say people of the book, which is, which is a general Islamic term for everybody that has some sort of connection to monotheism. So therefore, you know, we are allowed to exist, but we have to make sure that we always grovel and show obsequience and, and, and in, in some ways submit. And which yes, is, submit, submit, which is what submit Islam means. Islam. Yes, yeah, which yeah. is what Islam means. So, um, you know, what's, and, really, what's really fascinating. And by the, and by the way, the thing, the thing that makes it most difficult for, let's say, Islamic culture to accept about Medinat Israel is that we are not kufufim to Islam. We're not being dimmies, as we have betrayed, you know, the basic uh, covenant between Islam and yeah, well, I, I think it's it's aggravated by those who are protect, who are supposed to be protected by Islam. I think it's aggravated by the other things that I mentioned, which is that the the abrasiveness and the you know, the shocking immorality that yeah, the Jewish, lack of lack of the, the, the Jewish culture brought in. You know, because because you know we harken back to the the period when the Chassidim first came uh, to the upper part of Eretz Israel, and I have no reason to doubt the records of of, of which is passive Hustora, of Muslims joining with them, whether it's from Avram Kalisker or Nachman of Vitebsk or any of the people over there that were, uh, or even in Hebron and other places, where it seems that there was a, an understanding. We, uh, in many ways, that there was a lot of, uh, I don't know if it was a culturalization, but there was a, there was a meeting of the minds that occurred. Now, it's going to be because they didn't see uh, these... Jewish pilgrims as a threat to taking over the country. But there does seem to be an affinity, and there's more than enough records of many uh, Muslim men and women coming to Rebus to get brachas, because they recognize that these were the same holy men that they had extolled in their own culture, despite the fact that they rejected Islam. I I mean, Islam is a universe, okay, and and just about everything, every major spiritual argument that we have in us, they will also have in them. Like if you want to, if you want to argue that Hasidim and Litvaks, right, or Hasidim and I don't, I don't like to use the word Muslim because I don't think it's accurate. But yeah, um, um, the you find you find that same argument. Very, very much in. You're talking about what to put the main emphasis. You have Muslims such as like Salafis and that, who are really hard on the idea that there is no intermediaries between human beings and Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Even Muhammad himself was nothing more than a telephone, and when a telephone breaks, you just bury it and you leave it alone. So they're really against the whole idea of going to Kibrit Sadiqim. And they're really against the whole idea of tzaddikim because you know so so if he's you know if he's a kadi if he's a if he's a sheikh and you're going to him for a psak halacha then that's that's great that's his job but if you're going to him for a bracha you know go to go to a kaddish baruch for a bracha they have you know they have that idea um, you know mashenkein you have people who come let's say more from the Sufi tradition which exists both in in the in the Sunnah variations and in the Shia variations. Where there you really do have something quite parallel to tzaddikim and to bali moifes, and and you have a, a you know that you're supposed to have a dvekus in tzaddikim. And you know, so, not to mention, I mean, I, I once I once did a little project. I I got some examples of Hasidim dancing off of YouTube, and then I got some examples of Sufis dancing, and it's it's amazing to what extent the activities are the same. Even the dress is the same. I mean, like if you if you think of a strimal, it's kind of like a modified 
Sufi turban. Okay. Um, so it might even be a cultural, you know, might actually be a cultural uh, fertilization from the Middle East into uh, Eastern Europe by way of the Ottoman Empire. Mm. Ukraine was under the control of the Ottoman Empire for some substantial mm. amounts of time. So I, I've often thought to myself that maybe the Hasidic dress doesn't really come from Polish noble people at all. It actually is a modified version of, of Middle Eastern or Sufi dress, which is modified for um, Western clothing. And, you know, when you hear about and I, I, I take what you're saying uh, as something very uh, sound and convincing. Uh, we're not that different. Our DNA is, is our, what you're saying is our intellectual DNA and our intellectual struggles aren't that different. Maybe even our physical DNA. Right. So right. there was a point as, as before we started recording, as I was, uh, you know, tasting your wonderful shakshuka and, and relishing it, you were mentioning to me that one of the things that you theorize because of the fact that we had a connection to this man, and although conquerors came, uh, invaders came, and demanded that we all leave, but that wasn't the only option. There was always the option of conversion, whether it was conversion to Christianity, conversion to Islam. Now, of course, we have this noble idea, maybe it goes back all the way to Yermio, that we will not take this and we're not going to change and we'll just leave the country rather than become what you want me to become. The actual reality is there was probably a very strong percentage. Let's call them the uh, the eighty percent who stayed in Mitzrayim sort of mm-hmm. mentality. Who, hmm, well, okay, this is my country. Here's the invader. He's giving me an option. The religion that's being offered, especially early Christianity, very similar to Judaism or Islam, or Islam, which has that monotheistic element to it whether they heard the stories about how Muhammad had converted his Jewish antagonist originally. So there'd be more than enough reason for many of these as well, at least I live and at least I can stay here. And the point is that it might be very well that many of these Arab people today, Muslims today, who are saying, this has been our country. This has been our land. We own it. You are the interlopers. Many of the people, their great, 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 great grandparents might be Jews, or what we would call Jews of the B'nai Israel. There's a lot to indicate that's the case, but just I'm beginning with the statistics. Like if 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 one in ten people in the Roman Empire uh, were Jewish, then like where did all these people go? We should we should be outnumbering the Chinese based on Josephus's description of the of the breadth of. The Jews during the Roman yeah. Empire. So, so it seems that there was a lot of attrition, and and uh, it's historically it, it's quite likely that there was a lot of converting out. And I would just want to point out that you know you have to take into account the, the terrible disappointment that happened, like after Korban Bayashini, and after after the Bar Kokhba revolt, and after years of, of of suffering. And here you have a monotheistic religion which comes along. It's very, very, very successful. And at some point in time, you say to yourself, you know. The Rabbanish comes obviously behind this. So who am I to argue with the who am I to argue with the Kaddish Baruch? It's yeah. very similar to the argument that was made post the Holocaust of Jews who survived. Not, and it wasn't such a large percentage, but a decent amount of people said, No, I'm gonna raise my kids as Christian now. I don't want to have another Holocaust happen to me. Let's just go this way, at least our family survives. So therefore, again, it's just to reiterate the point 
it might be that many of the people who we are fighting tooth and nail with, and tooth and nail is really an understatement. As I said to you before we started recording, uh, we're here in Ashkelon, but you know, every place in Israel is only a couple hours away. Every single spot, down every single road that we that we talk about, the ones I've been traveling to reach to you, there have been piguim, there have been attacks. Recently, the, the the one that, of course, that strikes me, and I have to mention this, of course, the one that was done a number of, I think uh, it's now uh, seven years, I believe, since Eitam Hankin, uh, uh really someone who was so special. And again, I don't want to minimize anyone who was who was who has been, become a carbon in this terrible war, but especially you know someone like Eitam Hankin, who I think in many ways is the spirit of what I try to do um, on our podcast, which is to be open, understanding, um, and hear. You know, they lied in wait for him. Did they know who he was, of course not. But so some of our best and brightest and people that that could have been lights of of Aftus and 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 such brilliance have been extinguished by the extreme brutality that is so shocking and horrible. The rampant murder of, of, of innocence, of running into settlers' homes with machetes, chopping them off, killing them in front of their... their, their, their Blowing up buses, shooting up hotels. You know, yeah, we, we've, we, have, we have seen it all. And, um, and so, so I, could, I could see how many people, Nelson, would look at that piece of the Zohar and said, okay, yes, they were here, but read to the end where it read says they end. will be destroyed. And, and maybe if you're like a Hanmik, you're saying, well, we're going to be the, 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 we're going to be the active agents to allow that apocalypse to happen. We'll have shifts with God, allow that to happen, or at least get rid of them. I really want to take a different track. And it's not just because I want to appeal to a certain, uh, let's say, woke mentality, because you know, that's not what I'm about. But I, I have really have a hard time, especially with what you're saying, to say that this is the end of the story. That image, that Simchas Taylor image of a, from the Muslims' dafka understanding, somehow it seems to me that's got to be part of the recipe of the Gula. There, there's something, again, we, we talk about the interesting uh, arguments that be- occur between Haredim and non-Haredim. And, and we, we, both of us, I know it's an anathema to both of us how much we hate hearing that. But I would like to at least say, as someone who arrived in Eretz Israel recently, we cannot embrace this apocalyptic image of Pipshat that they will all be wiped out and they will all be destroyed. And you, you started it, Nelson. With, it doesn't seem like, especially like the Rambam, that they're Hateva. But even if there's a, 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 we'll take the Lama Cherev's version of the Rambam. That's only the first stage. And then it's going to be followed by, you know, just the, the great miracles of the Messianic age. Who better to be moved to the, uh, than are the people that we're, we are indeed closest to? I'll take a, I'll take a stab at that, sure. at least, at least from, the, from the point of view of theology, make, make a little bit of dent in here. Um, Listen, first of all, I, I, I definitely believe, you know, Godel HaSholom, Enkli, Machzik, Rocha, Olam, Yisrael, Elo HaSholom. So that has to be a basic part of our orientation. And um, I still believe the problems can be solved, even though I've come to realize that we live in a part of the world um, where problems don't get solved. People don't really try to solve problems here, and people don't try to solve conflicts here. Conflict is forever. 
conflict is considered to be a part of life and, and it, give, it gives you the opportunity to be strong and to be dedicated and to, to kill or be killed. And that's good because that's, that's the way life is. And it's, it's fundamental to, to living in a part of the world where there is always a threat of scarcity and where survival is always somewhat, um, you know, somewhat shaky and where you have groups that are, you know, that, that are in conflict with each other. So conflict is never really expected to go away. Um, not making a great case for me to make Aliyah right now. Well, yeah, but it's it's you know it's it's one of it's one of the things that I that I think I really had to learn as a kind of like a, a naive American, and um, it did it did make quite a difference in my in my perspective on things. I mean, you have to have a very very long sighted perspective. But anyway, Al Kalpani, yes, there is there is enough commonality between us and our our enemies for their for us to make a lot of a lot of good things happen. And I just want to, you know, based upon the same the same Zayhar that speaks about emptiness as the, as the fundamental principle of, of Ishmael, and fullness is the fundamental thing that uh, that is that is typical of Am Yisrael. It, I mean, it seems to me that on a, on a theological level, you know, there's a certain sense in which the monotheism of Islam is very, you know, kind of powerful and uncompromising, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so one and so absolute, completely outside of any of our ability to comprehend him or to be mystabic in him or to connect ourselves to him. And if you go to the holiest place on planet Earth, according to Islam, which is the Kaaba in, in, uh, in Makkah, you know, you open up the doors, there's absolutely nothing in there. It's just an empty room. It's plush with an empty room. Now, if you, if you go into a, a shul, you open up the holiest place in the shul. There's, it's it's full of stuff. It's full of books, and we are miyaches a certain kind of holiness, not only just to the book, but also to tashmishay mitzvah and to and to tashmishay kedusha. Now, as we have we have a sense that basically there is manifestations of Hashem's presence that have a certain structure and a certain nature to them, to which and we use these things in order to in order to cleave to. So in that in that respect, our theology is full, and the and the the Muslim theology is empty. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's like fullness and emptiness could be two sides of the same of the same reality. Because once again, you know the the difference between you know somebody who believes that this is a tashmish kedusha, this is a and this is a tashmish mitzvah, and then you know there's always like some sort of Places where you can't go with that. I'm, being, I'm trying to be somewhat subtle in the way that I in the way that I state this. Right. Uh, we we and it was mitzvah works because we always know that this is not really it. Elokus. This is not. This is not elokus. This is this is something that mediates elokus. So, but right? so, so let me steal your thunder for a second. I think what you're trying to get at is that it's almost like Islam being out there. With their extreme version, is creates the balance that, that doesn't allow us to once again uh, fall into the chera egel. Right there, you go. That's, that's that's where that's what you were getting at. I yeah. know that, but yeah, look, I'm right here on the same table with you, so you have to, you know. <laughs> but I know that's what you were after, and we all know that the chera egel looms. Much more than large, right? There's no Peronius, as I'll say, that doesn't, doesn't come have from that. the Ego. So what you're saying is that in some ways, what has become uh, the, the best of Islamic philosophy or theology 
is really that idea sharpened to such a, an amazing point. Unfortunately, sometimes it's the point of their scimitar as well, but it's point. Yeah, that, but the point is so sharp that it it, could, it it will stop us from the devolving into that that primal chet. At, at, at this, at the same time, the problem with the problem with this absolute theological otherness right. is, is that, that is it, that you don't really have the sense of love and devotion that, that the that, Sufi actually the Sufi actually had right the Sufi and Al Ghazali and other Arabic thinkers actually sort of yeah, tried well, to introduce they, well, they, 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 they tried they tried to get it I, once again I'm not enough of an expert on any of these any of these subjects to you know to, to speak with any confidence but it seems at any rate that there is there is there is this issue with Islam and the emptiness that's at the heart of it right? which which really makes Islam into a religion of submission as opposed to as opposed to a religion of Connected yeah, and I'm going to go back to just one and finish off with that one point I was saying before. The, the even in the terms of the relationship to sexuality, when we talk about the mila, the xera, the the harchoka from from tznius, we all know that that's and, and many people, including Adam Hankins' father, Shalom, tried to make the point. It isn't just about cover up. It isn't just about just covering. It's also about not giving undue attention to yourself. Like the, 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 the woman who wears the burqa, but it, you know, is, 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 it might be being overt and get her its news without realizing it. Right? If she's the only one with the burqa and then therefore she's someone that is, mm. that is right? So the whole idea of tznius, as, as Hankin's father pointed out, was is, is, is a certain naturalness, a certain way to, to not be caught up in the ephemeral, but also to glory in the beauty of this world and to the Sharakadusha of the Raiva, whether it's actual sexual involvement, but this is really imitatio day. And, and there's a, a tainug ruchni, the oneg of, of, of Shabbos and Yontif. Those are things which, you know, I don't know if you want to say that they are. I don't, yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there is any, is a similar issue, like, you know, something like Oinig Shabbos. I don't know if there's, an, there's anything like that. In Islam, in Islam. They have the id, which is, oh boy, we've been fasting like crazy here. So, so now it's time to eat. to eat, right? But I've never thought about it since we, until we sat at this table that iconography or, you know, getchkis are somehow connected to it. But clearly it's, it's very hard to be Mitzayer and Oinig. Without the Some, symbols of, yes. of, of, of of the gefilte fish and the pot, and the cholent and the other stuff, but, you know, but, but even the, the, the symbolism, uh, I think, goes along. I mean, what does it say? Of, you know, it says right? But they also right? There's also right. um, and I think that might be the part that the Muslims, as you say, don't necessarily revel in or or elevate. Yeah. Maybe that's weird. I mean, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't have tefillin, they don't have tzitzis, right? I mean, they don't, they don't have those, they don't have those kind of, of mitzvahs that involve utilizing objects for a vayda So that's basically, I mean, if you, if you go through Kolotera Kula, we have an incredible number of, of objects, I mean, lulav, sukkah, shayfer, you know, and all of, all of these, all of these are ways in which, in which connectedness to others where it was manifest. Wow. So you do you definitely you definitely need the balance of the you know if if Islam comes to to hold the bittul together while 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 we experience the oinig of the vakus, then that's possibly a a model for for some kind of explanation as right. to 
therefore we can. What are we? What are we, we both doing here? Uh, and therefore, let's keep those those Arabic letters on all those holy place names. Well, that's about it, my friends. We hope Mitz Hashem hopefully join you again, whether it's personally on the same table or, or via Zoom across the thousands of miles of the ocean. But in our hearts, of course, uh, we're always going to have that type of office. Take care, everybody. We'll see you later. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 